WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we've got two different creator interviews going. We start out with Sebastian Gerner, a longtime comics editor and more recently the writer of books like Shirtless Bear Fighter, Scales and Scoundrels, and out just this month, the Ghost Rider What If over at Marvel. We talk about those books as well as his work as an editor and, just because it is a common interest, dog ownership. Uh, kind of makes up for the All Cats episode last week with Stuart Moore and June Brigman. Uh, just kidding. Uh, later in the show, I drop a bonus interview with writer Vita Ayala, which uh, recorded on the show floor at New York Comic Con, so forgive the ambient crowd noise. Uh, we talk about their upcoming Livewire series at Valiant, as well as some of their other works, such as The Wilds over at Black Mask and the upcoming Return of Marvel Knights, which they are co-plotting with Donny Cates, Matthew Rosenberg, and Teeny Howard. Um, but wait, there are tons more. Uh, WMQ Comics is having a busy fall. This coming Saturday is Halloween Comic Fest, free comic book day's autumnal cousin. We're going to be posted up outside Level Up Entertainment at the Hamilton Mall in Mays Landing, New Jersey, where we're going to record a live episode of WMQ&A celebrating classic horror comics. It's going to be me and Matt Lazowitz and our old friend Rob Lynch, and it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to also say hi to our new friends at Toy Quest 101, a YouTube toy review show, so get ready for a spooktacular episode of the podcast next week. Then, on November 17th, WMQ Comics is co-sponsoring Level Up Entertainment Presents Brian and Mark's Pinball Arcade Monsters, a charity pinball tournament to benefit the Arc of Atlantic County, which helps people with intellectual and developmental disabilities here in South Jersey. It's going to be at the Starcade at the Showboat Atlantic City Hotel. It is going to be a ton of fun, and you should buy tickets and come check it out. Even if you don't want to compete, they're also selling open arcade tickets, so if you're from the area and you love pinball, please support this event. Finally, all next month, we'll be participating in Acts of Friendship, a comics podcast crossover. Uh, I'm going to be guesting on a couple of podcasts coming up that I'll tell you about closer to the recording and launch of those shows. In the meantime, please check out the other shows involved, including Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, Multiversal Q, The Young Ones, and Play Comics. They are all great people doing cool things. Uh, in case you haven't heard it yet, I will drop the trailer for Acts of Friendships later in the show. But for now, here's me and Sebastian and later, Vita. So we're recording this on the day the last issue of Scales and Scoundrels, your all-ages fantasy series for Image, came out. Uh, the letter at the end makes it sound like you guys are, are leaving the door open for more stories. Does, is that a, a distinct possibility at this point? Uh, that is a distinct possibility in every, in every way. Um, there's, nothing, there's no news that we could share at this point, Sure. Um, but everyone on the team... Um, wants to do more. Um, a lot more is written. Um, quite a bit more is actually drawn. Um, but this issue 12, um, I think when readers will, you know, when they get a chance to read it, they'll see that it's, it is the most, it is the best stopping point that we could hope for right now. It, it leaves all the characters uh, that we introduced in issue one in a, in a space where I feel like readers can, you know, know that they're safe and they're out there and they're doing their thing. And um, the next issue would have been the start of, of the whole second year. It would be issue 13. It would have been our, you know, start of the second year. And that would have kind of kicked the door into some some pretty big wild stuff. So we felt like we didn't want to dip our toes into that because then, you know, naturally the book would be ending and it would be kind of a tease. So we figured we'd keep that in our back pocket and um, make sure that we can come back to scales um, in, a, in a big way, um, hopefully sometime soon. But, you know, these things take time. Certainly. 
Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your, your own personal touchstones are for the fantasy genre. You know, were you a big D&D fan or Lord of the Rings, Final Fantasy, you know, that kind of stuff? Um, a little bit of each. I, um, I grew up in Germany, and there's a whole slew of kind of German YA fantasy novels um, that I grew up reading in the kind of like late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, not not too many of which I think have made it over here. There was one author couple in particular, um, Wolfgang and Heike Holbein, who wrote uh, these giant, like, you look at them today, they're like these, you know, 800,000 page fantasy novels that you would like devour over the course of a summer. And I think that those kind of were um, my gateway into fantasy. And those were more like, you know, magical realism or like uh, a very like Narnia-esque, but a little more white, like what, what you would call like YA fantasy now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read Lord of the Rings when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, however old you are when that takes you away. <laughs> and then of course I was also just like a big fan of comics and video games. Um, and yeah, like Final Fantasy and, and D&D and all that stuff kind of, I never liked so much that it like became my, my banner, but I would just like dabble in, in all these things. Um, Prince Valiant was another one of my like first comics that I ever, I think I learned how to read with that. Um, mm-hmm. that was one of my, my father's favorites from, from way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I inherited his like very sparse collection of, of Prince Valiant comics, but that kind of imbued like a big love of, of, of like epic stories and of heroes and just kind of that like wandering, a little rambling tone where the, you know, the characters would always just like, there's no real core cast. It's just like everyone's on the road and they kind of bump into each other every now and again and have an adventure together and then they're off again. Um, so that was obviously like a very big, like that's the whole like kind of lifeblood of, of scales is that, mm-hmm. that that rambling nature of, of heroes that I really like. Um, last year, you transitioned from editor to writer with scales and with shirtless bear fighter. Uh, how are you liking being on the other side of the desk, so to speak? I mean, I love it. I, um, it was a, it was a really something that I had not thought about doing when I started editing. Um, but then again, I also hadn't really thought about editing. So um, my career moves always kind of come naturally when the time is right, but um, I'm I'm really excited. Um, it was I think any lateral move in comics is always is, is considered very difficult because the 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 market or the the industry itself kind of likes it when you are one thing and can be um, identified as one thing. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult for artists to become writers or uh, writers to try their hand at being an artist, I don't actually know an example of someone who made that move. Inkers, letterers, colorists, like it's, it's becoming more and more common now, I think, Mm -hmm. thanks also in in part to um, kind of create our own world where everyone is kind of doing their gigs for Marvel or DC or any number of other publishers, but then creators will also usually over, you know, social media or the web kind of like find themselves together. so long story short, I really like it. I mean, I still do, the majority of my work is still editing. I still ed- edit a ton of books um, at Image and a couple of other things here and there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how, I mean, I've been doing that for 10 years. So I, I have a lot more experience in that. I think I have a lot more, um, like I know more what I'm doing. And the writing for me is obviously something I want to be doing more of uh, in the future. Um, but it's it's also really hard. I mean, I have to you know eat a lot of not eat a lot of crow. I have to eat some crow because of course, uh, once you're in the driver's seat, you you know occasionally will not follow the rules <laughs> that you yourself set. Um, but that's also part of the reason I wanted to at least do it once or twice. Like I don't know how 
much further, you know, hopefully I'll have a long career and be able to do a lot more writing. But um, it was important for me to at least have done that um, so that I know that when I work with writers, when I work with artists, when I put them, you know, give them a, give them notes or um, put them to a deadline, like you need to know what that feels like. Um, so I'm, I'm still loving it. I mean, <clears throat> it scratches a whole different itch uh, for me and, and, and I really want to keep doing it. So at least in that regard, it was, it was great. Cause I can also imagine like editors, I don't know, do, making a comic and write, it's not just the writing of it. It's the production of it, the marketing, mm -hmm. whatever legal mumbo jumbo you have to do, like the whole kind of carving, you know, this piece of work out of, out of solid rock. Um, but after the writing is done, that's like not even half the battle. Uh, you still have to, you know, produce the whole thing. So, um, but I really love it. I love working on them. Um, and I hopefully will able be able to do um, more of them in the future. Uh, how do you, how do you find you are, uh, at taking notes from, from another editor? Um, it's mostly, it's good. It, it, it depends on the, um, I think in every, everything depends on the situation. So the, the issue of Ghost Rider that I'm writing, mm -hmm. um, that's coming out in October. I had a blast, uh, uh, writing that and getting notes from, from Kathleen, um, was my editor at Marvel. Um, because she reached out and it was just kind of one of those situations where you like, you talk yourself like giddy, like how awesome it's going to be. And then by the time I even start, I sat down and wrote, and wrote it, um, we had talked about it and, and I had an outline and we were just, the, the questions were answered and it was just kind of about, we had, we had built the structure and now it was just kind of my job to fill it. Um, on scales, actually, we didn't have an editor. Um, it wasn't a situation where it was partly that I couldn't. We, our resources were so limited, I, I figured that I, I would want to pour them completely into art and production of it. Um, I didn't want to bring an editor on board, just the, the classic like for exposure, because I don't believe in that. I do want to pay people when I can work with them, either in cold hard cash or some kind of um, you know piece of the back end. But with Scales, it was kind of the first time that I was working with the all-in-one artist with Galad who does the full art. So I figured on that one, let's just go this far. I can edit it myself um, to hopefully not to the detriment of the work. But I always, you know, the, the, the more scales grew and the, the more stories we kind of started to compile, um, I did think that at some point, if things had got a little differently, um, I definitely would have been looking for an editor to, to come in just to help me keep a clear head because with as long as scales wasn't the only thing I was doing, there's 8 million other things going on in your life. And you just, it's nice to have someone to just like bounce ideas off of whose job it then is to kind of like keep you in, in fighting form, you know, where you're making the best decisions and you're um, not just taking the, the, the fastest way to a solution, that kind of stuff. Certainly. Um, you mentioned obviously your ghostwriter, what if, which comes out, uh, I believe next month in October. Correct. Uh, yes. Um, Tell me a little bit, you know, more about this book. You know, obviously, you know, we've read the solicit text. I, I think I have, a, I have an, an idea. It talks about Ghost Rider crossing over with like a real world Nordic metal band. And I, is that supposed to be the band Ghost? <laughs> no, it's not. It's a, oh. it's a band I made up. Uh, there's a, <laughs> there's okay. a lot of uh, the solicit was actually written before I like. But, there's a slight tweaks to the, I would have made one slight tweak to the solicit that 
Um, it's not it's not like a literal metal band from from the real world, but um, this is I don't know. There's no spoilers, but um, I make no heads or tails of it. I'm like a huge fan of of like heavy metal and black metal and death metal, and I just love the I like the music. I like the theatrics. I like the visual imagery of it. Like it's all it's all very uh, very much up my spooky alley. So when uh, Kathleen reached out and was like, "Hey, there's this Ghostwriter." Um, what if and i was like "Ooh, that sounds good and she's like well what if this and she kind of pitched me on the core concept and i was like oh yeah i can run with this so the the thing that i want <laughs> that i would love to have uh tweaked about the solicit which doesn't change that much but to me it's very important is that it's it's not a nordic uh, death metal band it's a it's a latvarian black metal band ah so it's uh, a little marvel internal um, but I got into thinking about it because I was listening to a lot of like Ukrainian black metal, which is like a huge genre. And then I kind of thought about, you know, Latveria and I, just, I love that country. Like I love the fictional country of Latveria. I think it has a, <laughs> it's a really, has a really long and sordid history. The, um, the poverty, the technology, the despotism. Poverty, <laughs> technology. Also that it's like, uh, it's like the that they're all synthy Roma, that they're this like naturally, um, you know, the, the, the people that are, you know, all over the world, but are consistently kind of like hounded and, um, but that they have this one country, but that country just happens to be run by like an insane guy who builds robot doubles of himself. So that felt like, and also, but like it has, you know, again, I, I read up all the Latvian uh, wikis that I could. And it kind of dawned on me that this would totally like, in, if if the Marvel universe was real, that would totally there would be like a crazy underground black metal Latvian band that would like sing about pre-Doom Latveria, like that mythology and that history, like what what gods did they believe in before Doom came along and said, you know, all must praise Doom. So that's kind of where that grew out of. Um, and of course, like I, again, when I, even when I was editing, uh, when I was editing at Marvel, and I had Ghost Rider, I was editing uh, Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider, and later um, uh, Rob Williams' Ghost Rider. And every time I worked, I was like, I should really just try to write a Ghost Rider like crossover with heavy metal because the imagery is just there already, mm-hmm. and he's got a obviously he's got a foot in you know heaven and hell and, and all that great stuff. Um, so this was kind of my chance to, to at least dust off a couple of those ideas. So we are introducing a new, uh, a, a trio of new characters into the Marvel Universe, or uh, our Latvian black metal trio. And um, then we're also kind of, it also takes sort of place in our world, where Bobby Ray's actually works at Marvel, and the band gets to have a tour of the Marvel office, because they're, <laughs> they're really big fans. So it's kind of like a comic about me getting to, you know, that, that, that classic Marvel thing is like, ooh, I finally get to play with these toys. Only in my instance, like, the toys I want to play with in the Marvel Universe are, like, <laughs> this, like, dumpy ass Ghost Rider action figure. <laughs> it's not, not any of the big heroes. It's, like, all these, like, side characters that I really love. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm hoping people will like it. It's definitely one of the weirdest things I've ever written. Um, but the artist, Casper uh, Vineyard, is is absolutely fantastic. Like, I my jaw dropped when he sent it in, like, the first couple of... Um, of pages because it's it's always interesting to see especially as kind of like someone who's still a new newish writer like I've edited a ton of comics but writing mm-hmm. something and then seeing an artist tra- take that and translate it you know into something a million times better than you could ever have hoped for 
um, it's definitely going to be a high point of of uh, of my October. That's for sure. Uh, what is what's what is the name of the Let uh, Barian Metal Band? Uh, if it's not you know a spoiler. Oh, it's not. The name of the band is Hassenwald. Okay. Which, um, I had it, it doesn't just sound cool. I mean, it means forest of hatred in German, but there's also the whole Latvian thing that everything like Dumstadt was Hassenstadt before. Okay. Like whoever created that, like looked into a German dictionary and went like, "What does hatred mean in German?" And they just came up with Hassenbad. But then there's a couple of reasons why it's a forest. So, um, but yeah, but Casper made a made a really awesome. The first page, and again, it's not a spoiler, is like a like a cross cut, like someone introducing you to this band that has existed in the Marvel U for some time now. And it's kind of like taking the world by storm. Um, but there's all these like dark twisted rumors about the band that, you know, as they would be, as there are in real life about real life, heavy metal bands, like Certainly. <laughs> people are, you know, it's like, Oh, they like commit sacrifices. And the one guy ate his brother. And it's all like, when you meet them in real life, they're all just like these very polite guys and gals that are just like, Nope, we just like, you know, putting on makeup and singing about, you know, the devil or a devil or no devils at all, just singing about nature and how beautiful the rocks and the trees are. There's a lot of metal that goes into like a more naturalistic direction. So I want to play with all of that is like, we assume that they're all monsters. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, and it, I actually think it covers a lot in 20 pages. It covers a lot of the kind of stuff that I'm into. A lot of the stuff that I would love to do more of even in the Marvel U um, given the chance, and uh, and it looks absolutely fantastic. The only thing I wish we could have done is like get a get like a, a playlist set up with like a local a local band. I'm in Brooklyn where there's like a ton of metal bands here. I should have like tried to find one and have them do a soundtrack. Well, you know what that is that that's something I was gonna, I was going to ask next. I mean, okay, so there there's not like a Spotify playlist for this, but if there were, like, what kind of bands would you suggest people listen to to kind of you know bone up as they're looking you know reading this book? Um, ooh, it's a good one, actually. Um, I should probably just make a playlist and, like, put it on Twitter or something. Um, we sent a playlist around to the art team, like, to Casper and, uh, um, a band I've been really into lately, and that was kind of an inspiration for the, for the, like, these weird Ukrainian black metal bands that sing you know that are obviously there's a lot of history in that part of the world but that have taken kind of their concept to be pre it's either pre-christian uh, mythology or uh, pre-soviet and uh, you know take over in many cases where their uh, indigenous language and 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 cultures were you know obviously um weren't allowed to be expressed um, that's a band called Drut. I don't even know how to pronounce it, which is always my favorite, my favorite thing about um, metal bands. How many umlauts are there? That that's it. There's zero question. umlauts. <laughs> it's Druk. It's D R U D K H. Okay. Uh, that's a fantastic uh, black metal band. They just brought out an album called um, "They Sometimes Dream of Spring." Um, these are all like pretty. Like I don't. Maybe I should do like a baby's first black metal because it took me a long time to get into it because the the vocals are of course uh, kind of a a learning curve for a lot of people. Sure. There is a uh, more in our neck of the woods. There's a a band from I think they're from Philly uh, called Horrendous, who are three uh, three dudes um, who make amazing weird. It's like a little experimental at this stage. Um, 
but you know, there's always like good classic heavy metal out there, or it doesn't have to be all black, all metal, but, um, mm-hmm. there's a band called Vector, uh, V-E-K-T-O-R, which do like sci-fi thrash metal, which are fantastic. You can definitely, um, encourage people to listen to those. There's Behemoth, which is a Polish kind of like death metal band, which is really big and they, they definitely were an inspiration for the theatrics, like their, their members go on stage, like in full get up and just like wear these, I don't even know how to describe it, like it's just operatic is the only way to describe it, like they come on stage and they become other characters. Um, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of, uh, of the visuals that uh, I tried to imbue into this one issue of Ghost Rider, um, where it's like crosses the line between fun but also like super serious, like these bands are so, they take themselves so seriously, you know, when they perform, but then when they're not performing or when you catch them out of, out of costume, like they're just regular people, you know? <laughs> so that, that's the kind of, I wanted to, you know, maybe, maybe someone will come out of this comic and be like, Ooh, I should check out some of this music. This sounds pretty fun. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great musical style. Uh, yeah. The whole, the whole, you know, concept obviously sounds uh rad as hell did uh, did casper do the cover because i love the whole you know do warrior from mad max homage i don't actually think he did i think the covers were actually commissioned kind of um because the way a lot of uh, that's why i love about the what ifs is um mm-hmm. a lot of the what ifs are commissioned almost in the way that old like silver age comics were commissioned where just like you have an idea you put it on the cover that cover will sell whatever <laughs> you put inside it but um, I think that Marvel actually like had, at least this is my, I don't, you know, don't take my word for this, but sure. when I was editing there, you would, you know, the marketing, you know, the part would kind of be like, Oh, we're going to do these what ifs. And then like everyone would pitch a what if and like best idea wins. And then you can actually just go and commission a piece of art for that. What if, while you're still kind of looking to find the right art writer and the right artist. So I think that that's how it came about. So I didn't huh. even know, I hadn't seen the cover. Uh, I think until after I wrote the issue and I was like, Oh my God, it's like they took it out of my head and just like, it's already done. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, moving on, I, I, I really kind of had to pull myself back a bit because I wanted to kind of pelt you with more questions about shirtless bear fighter than I ended sure. up writing down. Uh, it, honestly, it was like one of my favorite books that I read last year. Uh, kind of curious a little bit about the origin story of that comic and, you know, who had to talk to, you know, who, in, who had to talk whom into working on it? Um, that's a long. It goes back a good a good a number of um, a good ways. Um, Shirtless Bear Fighter was conceived and written by uh, myself and my good friend and longtime colleague and compatriot Jody Lahoop. Um, both of us were uh, we met when we were both editors at Marvel, assistant editors. Um, we were both, um, working kind of like in the same office in the same periphery. I was Axel Alonso's ed- um, assistant who was the then, um, executive editor would later be editor in chief. Mm-hmm. Jody was also his assistant on some books. He was also in the ex office. So we were kind of just like two, you know, young dudes in their twenties, like just started working in comics and, uh, we headed off, um, you know, very quickly, just kind of like started chatting and, and, and he's also a huge metalhead. So we like talked about metal and it's just like nice to, you know, have a friend at the office. And I think a year or so into that, we actually became roommates. We were both kind of looking for, I was looking to move to another borough. Um, Jody had just lost a roommate. So I was like, oh, cool. And then we, yeah, ended up like working and living together for a number of years. 
And it was uh, three years ago when we were like after, I mean, you have to imagine like we're working, I don't know, 10, 12 hour days at Marvel. And then we go home and we're sitting on the couch watching like cheesy action movies or, you know, playing video games and just shooting the shit and um, you know, having some cheap beers and stuff like that. And at some point, and both of us, like the origin of Shirtless Barefoot is already like lost in the fog of myth. But at some point we were watching a movie and this dude pops up in the movie and one of us said to the other, that dude looks like a shirtless bear fighter. Um, we don't know who, which one of us said it, but that was just like a spark. So that was silly. We were laughing about it. And then we, the next day uh, we talked about it. We were like, hey, that shirtless bear fighter, that's kind of funny. Like we should do something with that. Um, so over the course of, you know, the next couple of weeks, I think Jody and I, and at this point it has to be said, like I was no longer at Marvel. Jody was no longer at Marvel. Like we were, we were free and, and mm -hmm. freelancing and, and doing stuff. Um, but yeah, we just kind of like put ideas down. Like what would that be? And I think that because we were both no longer working, um, as our day jobs in, in comics that we, mm -hmm somehow thought that this might be our last hurrah. Like he and I should do a comic together to kind of cement our friendship and our time that we spent together at Marvel, you know, through thick and thin and good times and bad times. And that's how Shirtless came about. Um, we wrote almost all of it, I think, before we reached out to an artist. Um, we found you know, an amazing artist, Neil Vendrell, um, lives in Barcelona. Um, we saw some of his pages that he did. He's a kind of a new, he was a newcomer at the, at that point. I mean, shirtless was his first real long format work and he was just absolutely brilliant because it's such a, tr it was such a tricky book. I know it sounds really silly when you're like, Oh yeah, shirtless bear fighter is a, a real tricky, clever book, but it kind of is because it's really, you hear the title and you're like, all right, this is really dumb, but also really fun. I want to read this. But then we like tried to write like a really good story with like really big characters that are still believable and have, you know, interesting arcs, like you want to read about them. It's not enough to just have it be a gag, right? You have to really like sell that. Uh, and Neil just was absolutely fantastic to work with. And we got Mike Spicer to do colors. So they just created this really dynamic art style that just looks like a Saturday morning cartoon that like, like what you thought Saturday morning cartoons looked like because actual Saturday morning cartoons were like always really, really budget. Um, so they didn't look that good. The intro scenes were always the ones that had all, most of the money when you look at them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, then we, we pitched it and image went for it much to my surprise. I have to say, I think Jody had more, uh, confidence. I was like, this is really, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to go for this, <laughs> but they did. And it worked out great. And, um, yeah. And the rest is history. I mean, it came out last year and Came out at the right time, I think, in the summer of summer of shirtless. Um, it was great. I mean, it was one of the weirdest and and funnest uh, comic book experiences of my life for sure. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, uh, Shirtless Bear Fighter is about a man, a very you know height of masculinity man who was mm -hmm. raised in the woods by bears. Uh, eventually, uh, has a falling out with the bears mm -hmm. and is forced to fight them when they're all being manipulated by his, uh, you know, would be, uh, corporate industrialist brother-in-law. That is correct. As the angriest man alive, 
uh, sworn to fight the bears that raised him forever because of something that happened. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a tall tale. It's uh, it's our love letter to comics and a lot of other stuff that we clearly love, you know, cheesy action movies and one-liners and just big, silly characters that are still compelling and, you know, leave you with something other than just, like, a gag. Like, oh, here was a story, or here was a beat, or here was a moment. So uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, and, and not only did Image go for it, if I'm remembering correctly, they announced that was part of Image Expo 17. Oh, yeah. Um, were you were you and Jody there for that? For yeah, the, oh, yeah. The big we party? It, yeah, we announced it at, the, at Image Expo. Uh, wow. We got a... Uh, there were a lot of great books being announced there, but I do remember that like when we just, it was, it was a little nerve wracking, of course, cause you get up there in front of your, you know, colleagues and peers and there's cameras and it's going to be broadcast and all that stuff. And you're putting shirtless bear fighter up there, but got a great reaction in the room. Like people started laughing, you know, started chuckling, shaking their heads a little bit. All those like reactions that you want when mm -hmm. you're announcing something like anything, but just like polite nodding you know you want people to have a reaction to it so um the first you know the first time we, we announced it it was great you know people were, wouldn't stop talking about it and then we uh had a really great summer we launched it right around the time heroes con uh rolled around which is in june which is always a, a really amazing con to roll out a, a book like that because it's such a great convention for like real comic book fans like there's no you know movie or tv stuff out there it's just comics so something like shirtless will get, you know, got a lot of attention there because, you know, we were hyping it like crazy and, and trying to use social, like in a way, you know, social media, Twitter and Instagram to kind of stoke some heat under this thing because we knew that, you know, we had a, uh, we had a great title and we had an amazing logo um, by the fantastic Jared Fletcher. So, you know, selling a comic, like making a good comic is, of course, very hard and one thing selling said good comic to your audience you know finding your audience is arguably the the bigger trick um so we kind of knew that we had something good we just needed to get people to look at it and give it a chance and then we were pretty sure that if you picked up issue one you would want to be around for the rest of it um because it kept like we made sure that it wasn't just the first issue again five times but that every issue is a little different and really takes the story along um, in a, in a perfect world, you know, let's say one day shirtless bear fighter gets adapted as a movie or even as an animated, you know, feature of some kind. Um, did you ever have like a fan cast in mind, like people you would love to see play those characters? I feel like it must have, um, less for actually shirtless. I would have to like, someone would have to surprise me. Like there's probably a ton Someone even, there's a wrestler who's like, who looks exactly, I mean, a lot of wrestlers look like shirtless, <laughs> but this dude like looks exactly like shirtless. I mean, he's a big brawny dude with, you know, with, with a ton of chest hair and uh, a whole bunch of scars. Um, I think we agreed that um, if, if people have read the comic, Jackson Lager, who's the, uh, the toilet paper mogul, who's just horrible and terrible and the worst, the worst supervillain of all time. Um... Who do we want? A Sam Rockwell, I think, would nail that. I think oh he'd be. Oh my fantastic. god, that'd be perfect. Yeah, he'd be he'd be really great. Um, Hillbilly Warlock is a half man, half pig, 
southern sorcerer so i don't want to fan cast that at the at the risk of uh <laughs> insulting someone but insulting uh, sorcerers insulting sorcerers <laughs> who are very you know a little don't, don't like to be teased um, you, you could safely that, cast ganon from the le- legend of the original legend of zelda it'd probably be fine <laughs> oh that would be good oh ganon you'd need someone like who has those eyebrows i don't know who has those eyebrows yeah. um i'm a big fan of um of like classic like you know normal like um, special effects so i'd I'd want like get the muppets to design like a really messed up uh, hillbilly warlock muppet that would be pretty great um but yeah shirtless i think that needs to live i don't i don't know who's mad enough to play shirtless even even on the the big screen um but we'll see what happens i mean (laughs) that might literally happen so i don't want (laughs) to I don't want to preempt the, the the casting director at this point. No, no, cer- certainly. Uh, although in my mind, it's uh, Christopher Maloney from Wet Hot American Summer. But we'll, we'll move oh, that's the one. That's that's I've seen that before. That is a very very good fan cast. Yep, that guy's that guy's pretty great. Um, so you mentioned you and Jody worked in the X office for a time at Marvel. Um, are there any particular uh, you know favorite stories or stories that stand out from you know? Working on the X Men in that era. You mean like comic book stories? Or yeah, story, not not, like... not behind the scenes stories. I mean, if oh, you okay. have it, you have them. But uh, you know, it's like yeah, yeah, actual um, on the page stories. <laughs> I let me think. There's comics that I'm really proud of having been a part of, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, it is. I mean, at this point, I've been freelance editing and writing longer than I was ever at Marvel. Um, but I do still have to, of course, you know, acknowledge, and I do all the time, that that's where I got my start, and that's where I learned, you know, the craft and the, the whatever skill of editing that I then later had to, you know, hone and develop on the outside. Um, but I also made a lot of, um, I made a lot of friends. I mean, I made a lot. Of, comics is a really small community, even if it's you know looks very large from the outside. Um, once you've been in it for a couple of years, you start kind of talking to the same people over and over and I met a lot of worked with a lot of people that you know relationships would transcend my work at Marvel um even to this point where like one of the first books I worked on uh was either Rick Remender and Jerome Opeña's Punisher and you know now 10 years later I'm editing Seven to Eternity which is their creator-owned book and um I worked with Jason Aaron I just ended up editing the last couple of issues of his Ghost Rider run um, and we hit it off. Uh, we did a Punisher Max Christmas special <laughs> that I really liked. And then I actually, I think I just wrote him an email and was like, hey, this is a really great uh, Punisher issue. And we hit it off. And then I ended up editing his uh, run on Punisher Max with the uh, late, uh, great Steve Dillon. So there's stuff like that where just like you make a relationship, you, you know, and then that, that plays into the work. And usually it's like when you get along with someone really well with, with a creative team, there's a kind of energy there that just helps you, you know, make a cool product. But there's also like a lot of books that I wouldn't, that like I, I remember fondly because it, it was such like, I don't know, there was just a, a disaster work. It's just like getting this book out, getting it made somehow around all the pitfalls and minefields that, you know, the publishing comics is sometimes. Um, those aren't necessarily the best comics in the world, but they're the ones that I remember very fondly. And for as for Jody, um, he was the one who edited um, Rick Remender's run, and also Jerome Pena's run on X Force, which uh, was a really big deal at the time, and is still oh, yeah. still hear people quoting that as like one of the best 
yeah, the X books of the of the last whatever, 10, 20 years. Um, he did a fantastic job with that. I remember um, the year or so that he was working on that where I've never seen someone work that hard and be like that compelled to like bring these characters, again, like thinking about these characters that have been around since before we were born, you know, uh, bring something new out of them, find a way to make that interesting again. And he succeeded in a way that I think uh, I never did at Marvel in that regard, like this really big superhero stuff, which was never really my forte. Um, and, and that's something you can't really fake. Um, so he's someone, you know, that I, I know has a lot of stories about that. And I haven't even like pushed these. If readers are into uh, reading more from Jody, they should definitely read The Weatherman, which is a fantastic comic that he's writing. I'm incidentally editing um, art by Nathan Fox and uh, the wonderful um, Nathan Fairbairn. That's um, a really, really great, um, funny, serious, hard sci-fi book. It's great. Uh, I, I will second that. I've been reading The Weatherman and uh, really, really enjoying it. Um... Yeah. Uh, what what else are you reading now, actually? Uh, comics or in, in, general? In, ge- in general? In general. Um, I'm just wrapping uh, David Mitchell's Black Swan Green, which I never read. That's one of his older ones. Um, last comic I read was I finally got the very beautiful uh, first volume of uh, Go Nagai's Devilman, which is actually one of my favorite comics that I've only ever read in Japanese. So it was nice to finally have, they did a really nice job with it. Um, And it's volume one, it's a really bananas comic. Um, I was just on like, over the summer, I just read like a bunch of murder books. I read a bunch of Stephen King and a a couple of, I read this really great book that's coming out soon here. an English author, I forget his name, but the book is called The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, mm. which was really fun, which is um, set up as like a classic Agatha Christie murder mystery in an old manor where there's a, a ball and there's all these like uh, illustrious guests, like a banker and a lawyer. and a. But um, the trope is that the main character knows that someone will be murdered at this ball it's always the same person and he needs to figure out who and why but every day it's basically like groundhog day he will wake up every day in a different body of a different guest so it sounds a little weird it takes a chapter or two to get into it but when you do it was like one of the fastest reads i've had um it is a really really fun read and i can highly recommend it sounds awesome yeah uh you know we we've talked about you know a lot about uh, your work as an editor. Um, you know, I'm it, I'm I'm curious because in my you know my own day job, I'm actually a newspaper editor. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously not the same thing uh, as as being a comics editor. But you know, I am I'm curious how one actually gets into becoming a you know a comics editor. What was your professional background before you started working in comics? Uh, I always always feel like people kind of hate me for this one. I. I did not have a professional background. Um, Marvel was, I, I cold applied to them. Um, I was fresh out of university. Um, again, my background is a little bit different. I was a little bit older uh, because I went to school in Germany where at the time we still had five years of high school and then a year of mandatory military service. So by the time I actually entered college, I was almost at the age where here students get their 
you know, bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And then I studied, uh, did a master's degree. Um, so I was like 26, 27 when I applied to Marvel. So, um, but I was just, I felt fortunate at the time that they had a, a two openings. I think that right around the time that I applied, um, I later found out that two or three assistant editors had left the company. So there were, um, like one went to another job and I think one went back to school and one um, had a baby. So there's just like a vacuum there that they needed to fill pretty quickly because editorial, I mean, I'm sure you can relate, but they tend to be pretty tightly staffed. So when someone drops out, you need to fill that point pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> and, um, I don't know why, you know, why I was chosen over other, I'm sure many, many applicants. I spoke English, German, and Japanese and French. So that might have one thing to do with it. Cause it's kind of, there's a nice cross section of, of comic book cultures there. Um, but I mean, they offered me a job pretty quickly and I took it and I moved out and, and I didn't have any idea what an editor does. I just read a lot of comics. Um, I read a lot of not Marvel comics, which again, might have actually in that instance helped because, you know, again, an editorial, they don't, I I would assume that Marvel editorial and DC is probably the same. These big publishers that have thousands of characters, of course they want, you know, people working there that love the characters and know the characters and think about the characters, but they might also want a couple of guys and gals in there that don't think like that, you know, that think out, not outside the box, but you know, maybe aren't as enamored with the uh, immovable monolith of um, of comics continuity, you know, mm. because maybe your ideas, maybe a good idea will spring from that. No. So I was kind of dropped in the deep end, um, even more so that after I think the first month or two, I became Axel Alonso's assistant, which I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I, I can admit that now 10 years later. Um, so you learn pretty fast. You learn on your feet. You work a lot. And by the time I left Marvel uh, four years later, I still wasn't 100% on whether or not freelance editing is actually something I could do or could be done. I've seen it done, but it was more like in instances where like people took working relationships with them and then they might, Mm -hmm. you know, edit a book here or there. But in my case, again, I was very fortunate uh, right around the time that I left Marvel, which was in 2012. Um, the image kind of the creator owned resurgence that we you know are still living through right now happened and you saw a lot of creators a lot of talent from both Marvel and DC and the whole industry looking at you know all of a sudden like doing creator owned book at image was was viable like financially viable it was always creatively viable but it's a very tricky thing to pull off in an industry where not that many people have walking around money like you really need to kind of financially plan out a series and a book and then single issues and trades and all that stuff. So as that was becoming more viable, thanks to, you know, enormous successes of books like, uh, I think East of West was, you know, made a huge splash, obviously the walking dead at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden there was, you know, again, like a niche to fill. It was like writers and artists wanted to make a creator own series. They would still probably have work at Marvel or DC where they would have editors to work with who would like kind of take the work out of their hands and, you know, produce the thing. But, you know, when you're doing a creator own comic, you might not have someone who does that for you. So there I was. And it was over the course of those first kind of three or four years where I worked with Rick and with 
uh, Rick Remender and with Jason Aaron, Jason Latour on a slew of books that I really learned how to do what I was doing at Marvel, but as a freelancer where I was, I had to like kind of look at what services I can offer that I could, you know, charge people for <laughs> while still getting to do, you know, the fun stuff of editing, which is like talking about story and working with artists and working with writers, but to really create an infrastructure where if someone, and this has happened, you know, on numerous occasions, reaches out to me on my website or on Twitter and is like, hey, I have an idea for a comic and I give them a call and they tell me their idea. I'm like, all right, that's a great idea. Here's everything else that you kind of need to know about because that's the biggest hurdle in comics isn't like having a good idea or even being a good writer or a good artist. The hurdle is to produce a comic book that is you know, compelling, that is interesting, that's easy to read or if not easy to read, easy to start reading because um, there's more comp competition now than ever in the comic book market. There's so much you know, content being made right now. Um, that I think that a lot of comic book projects, uh, you know, would, would, would help themselves by having an editor to just kind of like zoom the camera out a little bit and take a look at the big picture every now and again, which is really like my main selling point is like, I know how close you get to a comic, the story, the characters, you know, when you're creating it, when you're writing it or drawing it, like you're in the weeds. And I always think like an editor's job is to kind of like just float a little bit above the ground. So you're not too close to it. You're not too, I would say not too invested in it, which sounds, doesn't sound right. But I mean that you're not too precious about it because your job is to produce it, um, you know, not to polish it to the, the razor sheen, but to like make sure that it can get out at all, which is another hurdle in comics is to know when to stop. Certainly. Um, you know, when you're wearing your, your editor hat, so to speak, you know, and even as you're editing and still, you know, working on projects, you know, what is, what is kind of a typical day for you? What is your, what's your workflow like? Uh, typical day is, um, I get up pretty early. Uh, my wife is a, is a teacher, so it's good because I can actually kind of like latch onto her schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, so I get up pretty early. We have a dog, so I take a dog for a walk, come back. And then well, it's like either eight or nine. I, try now to do like an hour of writing for myself in the morning more if I can, but basically by 10 AM I'm at my desk and working. So ideally I get an hour or two in the morning where I can just write my own stuff so that I can feel like that, that part at least is done, you know? Um, and because most of the, most of my clients and most of the people I work with are on the West coast, if I start working kind of at 10 AM, I still have a couple of hours before they get up. So before noon, I'll try to kind of like just go through my inbox and just start answering emails, just working on whatever needs to get worked on. If I have a book going to print that week, of course, that takes precedence. So then I'll need to make sure that, you know, the art is in, the lettering is in, it's been read, it's been proofed, it's been corrected. Is there any back matter? Do we need recap pages or letters, columns, all that stuff, just to make sure that all those files are there, um, that they're in the correct format, that they're uploaded to the correct Dropbox folder or printer site interface with all the people working on it. Um, and then probably reading a script or two, getting notes on that, um, doing thumbnails or proofing, you know, like reading all the, all the stuff a comic book editor does, like reading a script against thumbnails, giving notes on that, making sure that everyone knows their deadlines, making sure that everyone's been paid, 
making sure everyone has gotten their comps shipped out. Like there's any number of my, like a million tiny things and occasionally like a major thing, obviously, that you'll have to address. And it's just a question of like time management, communicating. Am I going to write an email that it takes me 15 minutes or am I just going to give this person a call? You know, all those like tiny decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. It's project management. Is I think the, the business term is what, what you're doing is that you're delegating uh, and communicating and trying to, you know, get a team of people um, to produce, you know, something, in this case, a comic book on a budget, on a schedule and make sure that everyone gets what they need, you know, before they need it, ideally. Uh, you mentioned the, you mentioned the dog. Uh, I'm curious what breed. He's a mutt. He's a lab cattle dog mutt, as far as we know. But there's also like blue pointer and pit bull in there somewhere. He's a he's like a rescue. So oh. there's there's always like no no real way of, of knowing. But he's sure. a frequent um, he's a frequent guest on my Instagram and my Twitter because he's he's like my editor. I mean, my assistant editor. <laughs> I spend I spend a lot of time with him. Uh. And he gets and he gets cranky when you don't meet his food deadlines. <laughs> That's right. He's terrible at that. He's just like, well, he he keeps me. He actually he is my deadline because I got to take him out in the morning and I got to take him out twice after that. So I like to kind of, you know, if I walk him in the morning, then I have four or five hours before he'll want to go out again. So you got to gauge for how much work you can do in that time, mm-hmm. and if you don't do you know, four or five hours worth, then you'll notice it, you know, because a lot of, again, working from home or working for yourself, like it really is difficult to, to find that gauge, you know, like, am I working enough? Am I not working enough? And like in comics, the average person is severely overworked anyway. And like exhaustion and burnout is a real thing. So you do want to kind of have those gaps in there where you're like, I'm going to go for a walk with my dog and have a coffee or make a phone call that isn't work-related and stuff like that. So it's definitely, I think having a pet at home for, for, for like professionals, freelancers is like a good way of throwing a wrench into your otherwise, like a machine that will just like drive you to death probably or insanity, whichever comes first. And just generally on the whole, it's good to have a dog speaking as a dog person. Also, yeah, just in general, <laughs> dogs are the best and you should, everyone should have one. There's so many dogs out there that need good homes. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have two uh, dachshunds myself. So. Oh, wow. I love those. Totally biased. But uh, as, we're, as we're wrapping up, Sebastian, uh, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Yes. Uh, if people wish to follow me, the invitation is always there. I am on, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's my, just my uh, S-G-I-R-N-E-R at S-G-I-R-N-E-R. I'm there. I tweet almost just about comics and movies and, and silly stuff. Um, I have a website. It's just my name, SebastianGurner.com. It's not as updated as often as I would want it to be, but um, there's a contact link there. People, if they have any questions or they want to just reach out, I do try to respond to every email that I get just because I feel like there's a lot of fog of war surrounding comics and how to make them. And I think that industry as a whole will get better if we get you know more people into it more diverse voices uh, making comics and reading comics and understanding comics so um, if there's any specific questions about any comics related topic people could always um, you know your listeners could always reach out to me there 
And that's kind of it. Other than that, I am in uh, inside all of your favorite comics. Um, I can rattle them all down if you want. <laughs> if the if the mood strikes, please do. <laughs> all right, let's see if I can get them all. Uh, currently, I am the editor of Black Science, Deadly Class, Low, uh, Death or Glory, uh, Seven to Eternity. These are all, all written by Rick Remender. Um, if I go through all of the creators, actually, I'm, I'm gonna. It's going to take forever, so I'll just say the names. Um, Southern Bastards. Oh, is that it right now? That can't be it. Under, oh, under the a, Jason Aaron file, or under the Jason? Oh, the Goddamned. That's still uh, that's still part of my. Uh, that's still in my stable. This like actually goes to show. It's like way too many books. Got the Weatherman previously mentioned. Um, and all the others I actually can't talk about. Yes, uh, I'm the writer of the recently, uh, actually today, uh, come to an end, Scales and Scoundrels, which is an all-ages uh, fantasy adventure comic with a wonderful artist named Galad. And uh, we talked about uh, Shirtless Bear Fighter, uh, which, I, which is out in trade now, has been for a while, which I co-wrote with uh, Neil, uh, with Jody LaHoop, and uh, art by Neil Vendrell and Mike Spicer. And yeah, um, I think that's it right now. That's probably it's probably enough. <laughs> I probably shouldn't do any more comics. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. This was great fun. W-A-Q-A. The world of comics podcasts is unpredictable. Yeah, like, is the episode going up at 9 a.m. Eastern or Pacific? When you least expect it. Or are they going to skip a week again? Everything changes. I mean, I do love a good bonus episode. They are coming. Oh, oh, is it a guest? Acts of Friendship, the comics podcast crossover. Oh, I see what they did there. Coming November 2018. Wait, what are you doing here? W-N-Q-A. And we're off. All right. Okay, so uh, you're writing the first ever Livewire series for Valiant, uh, just a few months after what's arguably her highest profile story ever in Harbinger Wars 2. Um, how did you end up with this uh, great gig? Uh, well... The uh, editor, Joe, and I uh, have known each other from his Lionforge days. And when he came over to Valiant, he reached out because we'd always wanted to work together. And he said, hey, I can't guarantee anything, but I'd love to hear what you want to do with this character that we have. Um, have you heard of her? Yeah, I've heard of her. All right. <laughs> like, she's super cool. Um, but yeah, so I sent over a pitch and he was like, yeah, you know, we're looking you know, at a couple of people, but I really like this. And it, it turned out that they really liked my take on the character and what I kind of wanted to do with her. Uh, so yeah, that was it. That's awesome. And kind of, what's the general tone you're shooting for with this series? You know, after after Harbinger Wars two, where where's Livewire kind of starting out? This is a redemption story. Um, so she is starting out. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that a lot of stuff went down in Harbinger Wars two. Yeah. She's like you said, very high profile. Uh, she was public enemy number one, and so she is starting from that place. Um, and. What we want to do is kind of get her to a place where she is no longer the enemy. So, yeah. 
Okay. And you're working with Raul Allen and Patricia Martin, Woo! who did uh, Secret Secret Weapons, you know, in which live art figure prominently. They're known not just for great art, but for their unique layouts. Um, how are you enjoying working with them? It's incredible. It's this is a dream come true. When I when I heard that they were going to be the art team, I cried. I was <laughs> so happy because they know the characters so well. I mean. Honestly, anyone who Valiant would have picked would have been very good because Valiant is very good at finding skilled people who love playing in their universe. But Raul and Patricia know Livewire so well. And so to have their support in that, I can go to them when I have questions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. And then, of course, they work so hard. They, like, build 3D models of, like, locations, which is amazing. So, like, yeah, they put in the work. All right? Awesome. Yeah, they rock. Kind of going back, uh, you know, what, what were you reading when you kind of first got into the media? And, 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 and not necessarily professionally, but just as, as a fan. I've been reading comics for a very, very long time. Uh, my first comics were Wonder Woman and X-Men. Uh, but in terms of when I, I really started looking at it a little more critically, uh, I started working at Forbidden Planet when I was about 19, um, and I was reading things like, Birds of Prey, because that was coming out, the first series, and, you know, Gotham Central and that kind of stuff. I'm very into, like, noir and kind of very character-driven stories, so that's usually where I approach. Do you remember what your first X-Men story was? I don't remember the story, because when you're a really little kid, you just buy whatever's there, and then you just kind of look at it. I remember it was, like, a hollow-foil cover, and, like, Bishop and Storm and, like, Psylocke and Jubilee were on it, and I remember very distinctly being like, oh, X-Men are brown people. <laughs> I like this. I want this. I was, like, six. All right. I was like, I like that Jerry curl, and, like, I picked it up. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember which one it was, but That's okay. That's it was okay. that good 90s stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, what are you reading now? When do you have time? When do you have time? Um, I tend to read things in trade, so I'll go and I'll pick up trades. I bother the Valiant people to give me good trades. Uh, I've been reading... What did I read recently? I read the X-23 series by uh, Mariko Tamaki recently. Uh, Those are in singles, but it was just so, so good. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I read a lot of stuff by people that I know because I really like their work. (laughs) So, like, I read a lot of Black Mask books. I'll read all of Rosenberg's books over at Marble. I'll read, you know... Uh, Zach and Lonnie's books as well. So yeah, stuff like that. That's awesome. Did you have, did you go pretty deep into the Valiant back catalog at all in prepping for this series? I think I read between pitching for this and just generally being interested in the universe. I read all of the Harbinger stuff, uh, anything with Livewire, and then a bunch of stuff with like Archer and Armstrong and uh, and Eternal Warrior. Okay. So yeah. Um, are you looking, maybe not to start, but as, as you know, things go on, for, for there to be some interplay between Livewire and the, and the rest of the wider Valiant universe? I'm totally ready for it. Uh, I think that the first story is much more kind of introspective, and so that's where we're going to be. But in the future, who knows? That would be great. I really love, one of the things that I love about Livewire is that her, the center of her character is very solid, and so seeing her interact with the other people is always really fun. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Black Mask a little bit ago. I uh, really enjoyed uh, the first issue of The Wild. Thank you. Um, the look of that book is so distinct. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, was that a pitch that you kind of been kicking around for a while in search of an artist, or was it a direct result of working with them? That's a good question. Um, I'd been working on the core of that story for a long time, since college. Very, very long time. 
when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But um, it wasn't until Emily and I started talking and started vibing that the abominations came to be what they are. That was a direct result of us kind of talking to each other and talking about what we want to do and what we like. So it, the core was the same, but it would not look nearly as beautiful if not for Emily. Emily is incredibly important. Finally, uh, you're involved in the upcoming Marvel Knights Anniversary Series with Donny Cates, uh, Matt Rosenberg, and Tini Howard. How are you guys kind of approaching writing that as a group? Is it like a writer's room, or is it closer to a game of exquisite quotes? No, it's, I mean, we com communicate all the time. So, yeah, it's very, very much, we're talking to each other about what we want to do and who's going to be doing what and what issue, and so it feeds very closely into each other. Yeah, that was, I mean, we're all buddies, too, and, you know, I adore Teenie, and so I talk to her all the time, and Matt is one of my best friends, and Donnie, even though we're, we've known each other for less time, we still, like, get each other, and so, yeah, we just communicate. It's just fun. That's great. It's having um, a lot of fun. How are you enjoying kind of being a part of all these different publishers now? It's awesome. I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate and very blessed to be able to work with all of these properties that I love so much. Um, yeah, I, it's, that's all I can say about that, I guess. Like, it's just really awesome. Very grateful. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, kind of wrapping up, uh, I kind of always ask us at the end of the interview, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I have a Twitter and an Instagram, and the name is both the same. It's at Definitely Vita. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm online. Uh, Twitter is not private, but I do use blockchain. So, sure. But my Instagram is open. If people really want to follow me, that's where they can follow me. Gotta be safe out there. Just saying. Alright. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA.